Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 52 of the Benzo Free Podcast. I was emailing with one of you yesterday, and without thinking, I said the phrase, it is what it is. And I noticed myself doing it. I've been saying that phrase a lot lately, and I've noticed that. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's part of my acceptance of my condition. When I say it is what it is, my emotion and feelings behind that phrase is more like, okay, so that happened. Deep breath. Eh, it's not such a big deal. Back to the day. Now, that sounds simple. I realize it and maybe it's not something that is possible most of the time. But sometimes it is. Why am I talking about this here? Well, why do I bring up almost any subject on this podcast? Yes, you guessed right, to tie it all back to benzos. I find that I say this phrase the most often when I get my symptoms, when I get my benzo withdrawal symptoms. This battle I had with the flu kicked off a nice wave of symptoms over the holidays, and a few of them were old ones I hadn't had in a long time, not ones I was eager to have return. <laughs> Between my sickness and symptoms, our holiday time with family was limited. I had to cancel my trip back to Kansas City to see my folks, and, and my wife and I were self-quarantined in our home for almost two weeks. Sounds kind of depressing, right? But it really wasn't. I not only found myself accepting my symptoms even more than normal and just letting them happen and not letting them stress me out, but I found that I had the same attitude about the flu and its symptoms and limitations. And another word that I think goes in with this whole topic on acceptance is expectation. And I see this a lot, especially in my correspondence with you. I think one of the number one things that benzo withdrawal takes away from us is what we think life is supposed to be, how we think life is supposed to go, whether that is how it used to be and it should still be that way, or what we thought it was going to be, and it's not become that way. Life is different now because of this drug and its effects on us. And that life is not the same as what we thought it was going to be. And I believe that that disconnect between our expectations and what is, is where a lot of our anger, sadness, depression, and suffering comes from. 
I had a lot of FOMO, and many of you know FOMO. It's fear of missing out. It's fear of not being out there with others. It's fear of not being invited to that party or not being invited to this work event or or missing your child's soccer game when she scored a goal or seeing something somebody posted on Facebook and feeling left out of that event or that experience or even missing spending time with your family during the holidays. One of the key things I see from you and I experienced significantly at times was this FOMO, this, this fear that we were missing out. And it is frustrating and it is hard. But the truth is life out there, life beyond your perception, I really don't think is usually as wonderful as we paint it to be. <laughs> and expectations are just about things that we think are going to be great, are going to be wonderful. Yet, how many times have you shown up at that party and then looked back and said, oh, well, that wasn't very good. And it wasn't anything like what you expected. We need to be careful, I think, of painting that picture of perfection of what may be, of what is going on outside of your walls, especially when you're as isolated as so many of us are. I think and this is me going out on a limb here, <laughs> which I do. Sorry about that. And I'm sure you will email me or comment and tell me that I'm wrong and I'm fine with that. <laughs> but I think, and God, there went my train of thought. <laughs> God, I do that so often. <laughs> if I, if I, if I ad lib like I'm doing right now, as you can probably tell, <laughs> and I have this, okay, I want to get to this line here in my head, but then I put too many lines in in front of it. By the time I get to that line that I wanted to close with, which I thought was pretty good, <laughs> I'm totally blowing it. <laughs> and by the time I get there, I have no idea what the hell it was. <laughs> but you all, so many of you know that frustration. And a lot of times I don't edit something out because I just want to show you the real me. And I don't want to make this podcast something plastic, something too prepared. I want it to be raw. That's why I do the road trips. That's why I do the interviews. That's why I do some other things that are more just as they happen. Because that's what this whole thing is. It just happens. It is what it is. We have to deal with it the best way we can. Benzo dependence and withdrawal happens. And since you are listening to this, it probably has happened to you or someone you love. You can do a few minor things to help manage the physical nature of your withdrawal, like a slow taper, exercise, and, and limiting food, drink, alcohol, that kind of thing that might aggravate your condition. But you can't do a lot. Most of the gains available to you are in your attitude, your mindset, your skills you develop to get you through. What you do with this whole experience is up to you. For me, well... I wrote a book and got it published, something I'd never done before, but always had wanted to. I started a podcast. Who would have thought that? And I love it. I became a better husband. That's a big one for me because anyone who loves you, who stands by your side throughout this, deserves your best in return. 
I became a better son and brother and spend more time with my family. In spite of the stress and anxiety and frustration that comes along with any family, I found hundreds of new friends all over the world who have helped me far more than I've helped them. I discovered emotions I never knew I had and can cry at the drop of the hat, and I enjoy it. <laughs> I never knew this was fun. This is a good experience. Crying is kind of cool. <laughs> These are things I never knew before. I tried to make the best out of this experience I could, and that doesn't make me a noble person in any way. Trust me, I have so many flaws I lost count decades ago. I did all that just to find a way to survive this. But in the end, I actually wound up a better person on the other side. This experience can be a curse, but it can also be an opportunity if you choose to see it that way. You know, Benzo withdrawal sucks, and I would never belittle the struggle, suffering, and pain so many of you are in right now. But we can find a way to survive it, to manage it, to even make something positive out of it. Our guest today, Angela Peacock, has done that. So many of our other guests we have had on this podcast have done that. And so many of our listeners have done that. And you can do that too. Our success stories can be yours too. And we are here to help, much as you have helped us along the way. There. Did I talk enough about myself today? <laughs> I, I think I may have. Oh, well, it is what it is, right? <laughs> oh, let's move on to our format. Today, we continue with the abbreviated format we had last week. We have our introduction, which you just listened to, followed by our feature and our moment of peace. Our feature today is part two of a two-part conversation in and around the new documentary film, Medicating Normal, which premieres January 16th at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Last week, we heard our conversation with Lynn Cunningham, director and producer of the film. This week, in part two, we have a wonderful conversation with Angela Peacock, whose story is highlighted in the film. So stick around for our conversation with Angie. You're going to like this one. But before we move on to that, we still need feedback, as always. Questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions. This is your podcast, and the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes the community it was designed to be. So please tell us what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback, or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. Or comment directly on the podcast blog post itself for others to see. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And one last thing, the Benzo Free podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you're listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This helps new listeners find us. Okay, then without delay, let's move on to our feature. As I mentioned in our introduction, today is part two of our two-part series leading up to the January premiere of the new documentary feature, Medicating Normal, which is this week on January 16th and 17th at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Today, I have the pleasure of sharing my conversation with Angela Peacock, whose story was highlighted in this film. 
If you haven't listened to Lynn's conversation from last week, you might want to listen to that one too. But, you know, I think both of them kind of stand on their own. So feel free to listen to them in any order you choose. Many of you know our guest today. Perhaps you have heard of her name, but maybe you don't know from where. Or perhaps you've spoken with her directly and found much-needed support from her counsel. Or maybe you even worked with her in a variety of areas of mental health, like psychiatric drug awareness, veteran support organizations, and of course, the Benzo community. But for those of you who may not have heard of her, let me introduce you to Angie. Angela Peacock served in the U.S. Army for almost seven years and was medically retired after one tour in Iraq. She was subsequently medicated for PTS, a victim of polypharmacy, and went on and off benzodiazepines several times under a doctor's care until coming off for the final time in January 2016. Despite suffering from protracted benzodiazepine and polypharmacy damage, she recently completed her master's in social work from Washington University in St. Louis. She has been a veteran advocate for many years, speaking nationally about trauma and resilience, female veterans, and post-traumatic stress. She was a Veterans of Foreign Wars, Student Veterans of America Legislative Policy Fellow in 2019, where she advocated for safer prescribing practices and informed consent concerning benzos at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. She serves on the medical board at Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, has supported hundreds of people recovering from benzo injury through her YouTube channel and online support groups, and is now one of five subjects in the upcoming film, Medicating Normal. I have corresponded with Angie for several months now, and I just have to say, I am amazed. Angie exemplifies the essence of giving, support, and compassion. She is now traveling the U.S. in her RV, dedicating her time and effort to promoting this film and raising awareness about the overprescribing of psychiatric drugs. Please join me in welcoming Angela Peacock to the Benzo Free Podcast. Okay, well, welcome to the podcast, Angie. How are you doing today? Pretty good, D. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm so so happy that you, you you and Lynn both took the time to speak to with us, and it's really nice to have this back to back conversations on the movie, especially since you guys have your premiere coming up. Yes, it's very exciting. We're so happy that you had us, and we are excited to hear what the community thinks of all the clips and promotion and everything as we get started. Pretty cool. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm sure you're looking forward to the feedback. I'm, and I know with all your screenings, you probably got some good feedback along the way too, haven't you? Definitely. Yeah, Definitely. that's great. Let's back up a second here. I just want to start out with you. And can you tell me a little bit about your background, um, how what your story was like with um, the poly- polypharmacy and benzo drugs that you were on, I know. And also then, then we'll talk about how you got involved in this film. So basically my story starts when I was in the military. I did okay. almost seven years in the Army. And I um, was, in a, was in Iraq during the very first part of the war. And I quickly got extremely sick. Like Mm -hmm. within 30 days, I dropped down from 140 to 100 pounds. Like you could see all my bones. Mm -hmm. I had like blackouts, nosebleeds, gastrointestinal problems, all kinds of things happened. So it was a double dose of trauma, whether I was going to die from driving in convoys all over Baghdad getting shot at, or if I was going to die from whatever mysterious disease that I now acquired from the environment or whatever. So I lasted about six months in theater 
And then I was medically evacuated out. And okay. the day after I was out is when our convoy got hit and one of my soldiers came back injured, um, came out of surgery, told me what happened. I felt like just extreme overwhelm of feelings and I didn't really know what to do with those feelings. So I walked straight to the psychiatry office because that's what you do when you need help. And I was given my first prescription of clonopin mm-hmm. and it all went downhill from there. So I endured about 13 years of polypharmacy. I was given more than 40 psychiatric drugs. That's the first time I've ever said that publicly. Oh my God. And um, benzos was in there a lot. And at one time I was on 18 at the same time. So basically I've been tapering in withdrawal or experiencing side effects for 15 years and counting as of right now. So healing, tapering, all of that has just been a complete disaster, but I'm so happy that I'm off of everything. I'm four years off. Of, of, um, all, of all medication, of all psych medication? Yeah, everything. Oh, great. Everything, four years off. Uh, I'm still healing, yeah. but I'm able to do a lot of advocacy and activism even in my healing. So it's oh, been, it's been okay. I'm hear that. Yeah, I'm so glad that you got. I'm I'm a little over five now, so I understand. But I was lucky; I only had one primary medication that I had to come off yeah. of. I can't believe having that many over that long a period of time. Well, so. I think my worst part was I saved the benzo for last. So the last couple of drugs I came off of were like Effexor, and then I came off some Balta. Okay. And then I had on and off was taking a beta blocker, but like the last two, I don't know, three years maybe was just benzos only. So okay. it's always like complicated when I, you know, when I talk about it, like. Did I really just come off benzos or did I not? Or who knows what, did, who knows what did what, you know, because it's yeah. just such a complicated thing. Oh, yeah. And they overlap. You don't know what symptoms yeah. coming from what or. or and very rarely are benzo injured only on a benzo. It's so rare. You know? I mean, I was pretty much that. I was prescribed Celexa and Prozac for the taper, but I never took either one longer than a month or two. Wow. Good. So then how I came upon the film, yeah. it was it was totally by accident, but what happened and, was and, I saw... And just so people know in advance, you're one of the stories that is highlighted in the film, correct? Yes. There's uh, five stories of lived okay. experience, basically. Different kinds of drugs, different walks of life, different areas of the country. Right. And we all have a very similar narrative of what happened. But So basically, I think the film took out an ad, and they were trying to find survivors to... Uh, interview and I saw the ad a couple times and I was like no that's not for me because I've been in other documentaries before Mm -hmm. and I knew what that entails and like how much you have to bear your soul and open your home and I just was not in the space you know at the time I was extremely suicidal like had like 80 symptoms at the same time basically still in acute withdrawal I was like there's no way I don't even want to leave my house like I'm not letting somebody come in here you know so what happened was I was helping uh, one of the online support groups and I guess they asked this other woman to be in the film and she said no but she said you should talk to Angie Peacock and I have no idea who that woman is but whoever that is thank you for referring me but so Wendy from the film, she's one of the co-directors. Right. She called me on the phone. She asked me what my story was, and I told her everything. But I was very selective of what I talked about, so I didn't really tell her a lot. And then she said, well, I really want to fly out there and talk to you and hear more about your story. And I said, well, you can, but I, like, I'm not interested in this film. So she flew out and basically just kind of wore me down. <laughs> And like, Angel, you have to tell your story like this is so important. And plus you have your military veteran. This is happening to so many. And then I just said, okay, fine. So the part I like to always tell is that like when she got out of the car after I dropped her off at her hotel, I thought, well, I guess now I can't really, I can't kill myself because I don't want that to be in the film that like, that, you know, Angel was a great person. She shared her story with us, but then she died by suicide. And like, I didn't want that to be my legacy. So in a, in a weird kind of way, it was 
helpful that they came into my life and that I was a part of this project because it did keep me alive when I was really in a bad oh, place. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. 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 In fact, let's, let's talk on that. We're, we're going to touch back on, on the film periodically, but I also want to cover some other stuff. But since you brought up suicidality, it's mm-hmm. something that comes up on the podcast all the time. Um, yep. And I do try to handle it directly as I can, but I, I was never com- quite suicidal. It was one of those things where, you know, I could understand how people did it. Mm-hmm. What What do you say to people that are, are in that state right now and are still struggling, especially when, you know, polypharmacy is, is tied in with it? Well, for me, the way that I got through it is the only way I, you know, I'm not an expert on suicidal thoughts, no, but this no, is what no. I, but this is what I did. And I, I think everybody has to just find what works for them. But me, I kept reminding myself, like, there is no reason that I really want to die. I'm just suffering horribly. Mm-hmm. I'm in a lot of pain and I feel like I'm being tortured basically from coming off this medication that I took as a prescribed. So I just kept reminding myself like every second, like this is not you, this is a drug effect. This is from withdrawal. And I would just repeat myself over and over. I would make up like little mantras and say like, you are healing, you are healing, you are healing, you are healing. I would count my heartbeats. I would, I mean, there was times when it was so severe, like I was so scared that I was going to do it because it's just like a compulsion or something that I would like, you know, leave my house and just start walking or jump in the shower and take a really hot shower or like wash my hands in really hot water and like do anything to like ground myself. So it was definitely like a moment by moment, um, like almost like, I don't know, like you just have to live in that second and just make it through one second. And then those seconds become longer and they become minutes and then those become hours. And then those, those withdrawal symptoms are, you know, in the background. And then you wake up one day, like, Oh my God, I haven't had a suicidal thought today. Oh. And then you, you know, it's just, you build it's on like, that. yeah, yeah. And then you just build on that. And then it's like, okay, it's been a week since I had one and that's been a month, you know? And so now those are way in my past and I don't have to, I'm not being tortured by them daily, but I talk to a lot of people that are, and it's, it's horrible. It's horrifying. Yeah, I, I definitely had the fear of becoming suicidal. You know, I mm-hmm. thought I would become that way at some point. I never did, thank God, but I had the fear that that was going to happen. And that was yeah. pretty strong. And I, yeah, because, you know, at, at some point, when you can't get out of bed in the morning and you're in so much pain, it seems yeah. like an option. Well, and, and I think it's I, I think it's also, it's the symptom unto itself, yes. and it's part of akathisia also. So I agree. I know everybody has, in the benzo community has like, well, if you didn't pace, you didn't really have akathisia. But if you look at the scale and you read some of the research, it talks about inner restlessness mm-hmm. and inner agitation. And part of that inner restlessness and agitation is this, like, constant intrusive suicidal thoughts. And some of them are urges for people and it's like inhibition is, is harmed with GABA receptors. Like part of GABA's duty is to like inhibit things. Right. And so when inhibition is gone, There's you know, no things happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. For me, that casesia was huge. I, yeah. And I still have it, you know, I still get triggered yeah. by, by certain things. I know we both do, mm-hmm. but so when you got out, um, and I know since then, since your experience with the medications, you've been doing a lot of work for, for veterans. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? What kind of work you've been doing with them? Well, I went back to school almost as a survival technique because I, I had like, I don't have family. I don't have kids. I don't have like a support system. And so I was like, I have to heal from this and I don't know what I'm going to do to heal. So like, I need to be doing something that makes me focused on something other than my symptoms. So I was able to stay in school and I, part of like being in social work school is you have to focus on certain social issues. So I was like, well, I want to focus on veterans and medication and prescribing practices and health literacy. And basically health literacy is like 
do you know how to read an FDA pamphlet? Do you know mm-hmm. how to talk to your doctor about, you know, when you put me on this drug, when, when can I come off of it? Or what are the long-term effects of this? Or what do you, you know, like just basic, how do we advocate for ourselves and ask questions that we need to be asking? Right. So I just really focused on veterans and mostly benzos. And I was um, accepted as a VFW, which is veterans of foreign wars, student veterans of America. I was a, a fellowship I got, I'm sorry, I got a legislative fellowship. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I focused on like public policy, social policy, and benzodiazepines and over-medication and de-prescribing. So through that experience, I did a congressional research paper. I did a bunch of handouts and then they flew us to Capitol Hill and we were in person visiting representatives and senators offices. We talked with both the uh, Democrats and the Republicans, like all the Senate offices, the the people that were the gatekeepers mm-hmm. to get let new legislation come through. So we brought our issues to them. There was 10 of us and I was the only one focused on like over medication and prescribing practices. Okay. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Did anything come up? I mean, what, what came of that? Well, I originally I went in to talk about polypharmacy because I, I think that's the bigger problem is okay. like I said, like it's not just always just a benzo. Oh, I mean, no. I think that's yeah. in the exception that we just get a benzo. Cause we, cause we all know, at least for me, this is how it happened. I got more anxiety from the benzo and then I couldn't sleep. So then I was mm-hmm. added a sleep medication and then you get really depressed. But how do you know if those symptoms are tolerance or side effects versus is that your original condition? Right. So then what happens is you just get this snowball and this, I think they call it prescription cascade where it's one drug is added and then the next and then the next. And then you don't know what are side effects and what is the original condition and what is a new condition because everything is just really muddy. So I originally wanted to go in on a polypharmacy track, but they said we need you to focus on, you know, one class of drugs. So, of course, I focused on benzos. Mm -hmm. And some of my research found that veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder are 2.5 times more likely to die by suicide when they are prescribed a benzodiazepine. Was that part of that combat cocktail they talked about for a long time? Uh, it was a combination of medications, and one was a benzo, and I think that was Yeah, it. I think that was clonopin, Seroquel, and, yes, and Gabapentin. Yep. And maybe clonidine, or Prazosin, sorry. But yeah, that was a couple years ago, okay. but this is just just any exposure to any benzodiazepine, if you are a veteran with post-traumatic stress disorder, it makes you 2.5 times more likely to die by suicide. Oh, yeah. So I compiled all this research together. I talked to as many people as I could. I did try to piggyback off of issues like suicide and opiates to talk about benzos are a problem too. Like as opiate prescribing has gone down, benzos has gone up. Right. You know, veterans are not giving informed consent. Veterans are not given an end date to when they can come off. Veterans who are... Um, taken off of benzos are not given a sensible, safe taper. So I try to get my foot in the door. It's very, a very difficult issue. I think a lot of legislators are intimidated by science talk of any mm-hmm. kind. So I'm still working on that issue. There's a couple pieces of legislation. I, I am in touch with a couple offices and a lobbyist trying to work on this issue behind the scenes. It's just, it's not going to end. And I feel like it's, we're just getting started. Yeah, it does seem that way, doesn't it? But yeah. but making progress too. I mean, this, yeah, this movie and yes. so many other things are doing. You you also have a YouTube channel. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on what you've done through the YouTube channel and and your outreach? So basically, on the YouTube channel, I was just and, and where can people find that? Oh, so if you go on YouTube and look for Healing from Benzos, okay, there's actually two people by that name. One has like maybe two videos, and the other one is me that has four years of videos. So. <laughs> okay. 
you have to just if you know what my face looks like look for my face but the other girl looks very similar to me oh no okay but anyway mine is healing from is the first name benzos is the last name okay so anyway somebody in the groups talks me into making the video for world benzodiazepine awareness day which was the first one i think so 2016 or maybe it was the second one they talked me into it i was very much in that inner restlessness, agitation, suicidal phase. I did not want to make a video. They said, Angie, you have to. You're the only veteran in our group. You have to talk about the veteran issue. So I made the video, and wouldn't you know, it's like got 80,000 views and like 1,000 comments because I don't know, whatever I said resonates with people everywhere. And so people write comments at the bottom and say, oh, my God, you just told my story. This is what happened to my wife. This is what happened to me. So, So then I just like was like, well, if it helps somebody, then I guess I should make another video and then I made another one and then you know I'd never really planned on it being a channel or anything but so I've just kept documents of my progress and if you watch like the video when I was six months off as compared to the video when I was four years off you can mm-hmm. see a huge difference just even in like the way I have my mannerisms and my tone oh it's really clear how... yeah I saw a couple of them and yeah I could notice your progression over time yeah so I don't know I just tried to talk I try to answer every comment I try to talk to people and let them know it's going to be okay and that, you know, I was a really severe case. I know that not everybody has my same story. Not everybody has yeah. been exposed to that many drugs. So if I can heal, then you can too. I try to do the same because I'm definitely an extreme case too. I had a couple other things, complications that tied in with it that made it. And and when I'm trying to tell my story, I try to remind people that, hey, you know, you're not going to be, most of you still won't have this five years out. There's some no, of us that yeah. have this extreme case, but most don't. But yeah. they still look to you though, don't they, for that person, that yeah. guide. And I always struggle with, okay, no, it's like I'm sharing my experiences so that I can relate to you, but please yeah. don't use me as this is going to be you. <laughs> no. And I, th- and I think it's just because we're in such a fearful state and, I you know, know benzodiazepine injury that we believe like, oh my God, if you had this for 22 months, then that means I will. Exactly. And, or yeah. and even it's a symptom. I think it's a symptom, another symptom that we think you know, I'm different. Mine's going to be permanent and mine is forever. And I'm you're, you're always thinking you. the worst. It is definitely yes. a symptom. I think it's, I always think of it as like the, the irrational brain seems to take over Takes over, and your rationality yeah. gets suppressed. And that's the way yep. our brains work in this. And yeah. And so it, it's always difficult to remind people that, Hey, your story probably will be better. Probably will be different. You know, we're the extreme cases. That's why we're doing yes. this because <laughs> we're yep. the extreme yep. ones. I'm trying to tell you that even if I can heal, so can you. I exactly. Promise, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you on that. Oh, well, that's great. I'm, I'm, I know you've done so much, and I know you've also been linked up with the Massachusetts hearings. And was that tied in with the movie? Is that why you were involved with that? No. Well, what happened was I went up to do a private screening with an organization who does uh, work in this area. I think they have a psychiatric drug withdrawal support group. Okay. So I f- flew up to Connecticut and did um, – did their little private screening with them. And then it just so happened the Boston screening was ha- or the Boston hearing was happening. And so I went and drove at like 11 o'clock at night, stayed over at Sonia's house. Who's yeah. Really the lead with, from Bic for that. Yeah, Sonia Seibel, yeah. Yeah. So she let me sleep on her couch. And then in the morning we drove over and did the hearing and it was just like perfect timing. It just worked oh, out. Man. And so I got to testify and I kind of testified on behalf of like the veterans uh, research that I did. And was, added, was this the first you know, hearing or this uh... This is the second. The second yeah, the one. first okay, hearing gotcha. was in the first. The first hearing is in the film, but it was Dave Cope doing. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's great. Yeah, I've, I've been. Um, we, we've actually made some progress here in Colorado recently. Nothing to the degree of Massachusetts, but we're using, of course, Sonia's work and other stuff as a as a lead on yep. making some progress here in Colorado. And you know, things that's are so starting to happen, and we're kind of getting there. So. 
Yeah, I think just that the fact that we're able to talk about this and talk oh, about yeah. it publicly and do hearings about it, like it is coming. It's you know, it wasn't happening four years ago when I came off. Yeah. So I mean, in four years, I think we've made a lot of progress on the advocacy front. But of course, we always need people involved. So, and that's I think that's what it's all about. That's what grassroots organizing is. That yes. you just find network connections wherever you can, and you talk to people and form relationships and get stuff done if you can, you know? Yeah, you gotta do every step you can take, yeah, you know? Every step, yeah. So you, we've been chatting about this a little bit. So you, you have your RV now, and you're kind of traveling around the country. So are most is most of the work you're doing now tied with the film and getting ready for that premiere and further screenings, or is it tied with other um, work you're doing, obviously work and support work, or what, what well, are you doing like, now? I don't know. It's all... It's all it's all of that. Plus okay. <laughs> what happened was I graduated college. I knew that I was not physically or, you know, mentally able to work yet. I'm still very, yeah. you know, I sound great. I sound great, but I have like severe vision problems, dizziness, okay. balance problems, um, so a very high level anxiety that I should not have, you know, even though I sound like I don't, I'm just I really know. good at acting I'm normal. With you. I'm there with it's terrible, you. <laughs> but, but so it was a combination of like, okay, I'm going to have to travel a lot to do some of these screenings and my lease is ending and I'm barely home anyway. So why not live in an RV? Plus I wanted some healing time and some space. Mm-hmm. And really when you, when your life is like basically taken from you, cause that's literally what happened. Like yeah. I, I didn't have feelings. I couldn't leave the house. I was scared of everything. It's like, once I get just a little taste of freedom, I like want to take, you know, I want to take advantage of that. So part of it is just really selfish. Like I just need to be away and I need to be in the woods and off the grid and just alone and in nature and wake up to the sunrise and go to bed, you know, which I'm very blessed to be able to do this, you know, but so yes, it's very, it's, you know, plus I do a little advocacy on the side, like volunteering and then helping the film a little bit. So I just do what I can. Today I'm going to go sightseeing up in White Sands National Monument. Oh, I'm just wonderful. really looking forward to that and just, you know, just explore and try to grow new nerves. Uh, neurons. It's funny <laughs> like, how we're, we're all doing so many of the same. That's, I just did a three week, um, two and a half week trip to Florida and back and drove it. And some by myself and some with some friends and family. But it was the same thing. I did hiking and I would I would go and just meditate, um, find different places to just kind of reconnect. I even recorded yeah. a lot of nat- nature sounds and I've used them for some of our closings on the podcast. And it's just been, wow. and I, and I did crazy. a couple podcast episodes on that trip. Wow. And it's been interesting because I kind of like what you're doing too, is that the listeners have been able to, to kind of connect with me of the struggles of traveling with yep. protracted withdrawal. And so many have written into me saying, oh my God, I had that same exact problem. Or I yeah. had this, or I had the anxiety. Yeah, like you said, you know, people, I, I don't, we seem better off than we are sometimes. Yeah, and do. I think you and I are both that same case. It's like, I'm functioning better than so many people that are listening to the podcast or are watching yes. your film. But we're putting on a good front too. Yeah. I think we just get used to acting normal. And I mean, and and, and in a sense, I think it's good that we can pull it off. Like I almost think like your brain remembers what normal is. And like, surprisingly it will like pull it together. Like some days I'm like, I don't, I can't do this. I literally can't do this. I need to go home. What was I thinking? Pull the RV over, sell it and go home right now. And then I take a couple deep breaths and I self talk and I'm like, EG, it's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. If you go home, you're going to hate it. And like, you're going to be fine. And then five minutes later, I'm like, you know, the anxiety is down just enough to where I don't, I talk myself out of it, you know, and then I just keep doing that over and over. It doesn't mean I'm driving around, like going on tours and going to shops and eating at restaurants. Like, 
24 mm-hmm. hours a day. I'm not, it's like one thing a day that I can do, you know, yeah. but it's, it's so much, you're just so grateful for it because you, you know where you came from four years ago. I couldn't get out of bed, you know? Yeah. So, and, and, but you're doing it too. It's like, this is not easy, but no, even for like not. me on the road trip, it's like two or three times before I left, I was going to cancel because mm-hmm. it was just too much, but it's like, no, I need to do this. You'd need to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And I always talk I'm just about one like, of those push. Yeah. If I, I push outside of my comfort zone as much as I can, and there's yeah. camps that say, don't do that. Cause it makes you worse. And I, my, my vote is always, well, I feel worse if I'm sitting at home anyway, yeah. so I might as well do something with it. Yeah. My, my vote is always, there's a balance, you know, it's like yeah. here, there, there are days that you need to stay inside oh, yeah. and that's Definitely. fine. But when you start yep. feeling a little better, you got to start getting out and living again. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah, I'm with you. It's like, I, I'm not going to let this thing, you know, knock me down no, any more than it has. No. And yeah, like for me, it's been 15 years, you know, and oh, I, I know. like I told some friends like, 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 why am I doing this? Like, first of all, it's like, I don't even know what I like. Like I was so medicated yeah. and numb to my life that I don't even know what's a national park. What do you do there? What do you like? You go to a bird watching thing, even if you're not interested in that, like, do I like water or do I like trees or do I like, you know, like I don't even, I have to like relearn everything yeah. or like what kind of food do I like or what kind of st- shops do I like to go into? You know, like I don't even like all this is foreign to me. I don't, I never really looked at it that way, but what you said totally makes sense right now. Cause I, I do have new likes and different yeah. likes than I, I mean, one thing I noticed was our personality changes. We do mm-hmm. become to some degree different people. And I've noticed that too lately. It's like some of the things I used to love, I don't anymore. And other things I now really appreciate. Yeah. And I would say some of that's probably from getting older, but some of it is just the the trauma of the experience is like, it makes you reevaluate your whole life and like what, what is important to me now. And like right now I went from, I mean, this has been a couple of years in the making, but I went from like a four bedroom house to a three bedroom, to a two bedroom, to a one bedroom, to 135 square feet. I love that. And like now it's like, sorry, but this stuff is not important. Don't buy me anything. I don't want anything for Christmas. Like, I just want to go in the woods and be quiet and maybe I'll watch YouTube or something to you know, fall asleep. The, it's so funny because we're, you know? we're on a minimalist kick now too, all driven yeah. by my experience. It's like, I'm saying, yeah. we don't need this. We don't need this. Why no. do we have this? It's like, it's, you're right. It's just not important anymore. It's not. And I was so cleansing just to get rid of so much stuff that was holding you back and memories, the bad stuff, yeah. you know. I, I've, I've been reading voraciously during mine, and that's one of the things that kept me going. And one of the books yeah. I read, I forgot who wrote it, but um, it was on minimalism. And it was talking about everything comes with a level of stress. I like and that. I never thought so about true. that. But yeah, it, it hit me. And I was going, my God, you're right. Everything we have has a level of stress tied to it, whether it's maintaining it or packing it or keeping it stored or pulling it out each year or whatever. There's stress comes with that. So true. So true. Yeah. Focus yeah. on what's important. Because exactly. really, I mean, you're not going to die with your stuff. I can't no. take it with you. You know, yeah, The people in our lives are far more important than, yeah. than the stuff and we have. And experiences. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about experiences. Oh, that's amazing. So anyway, oh, so, one, I, should, yeah, go I ahead. should say one more thing. One more thing I was thinking of is while I'm traveling, I really have an interest. I built a new YouTube channel and it's more about RV living. And oh, cool. Like this, yeah, what this is that? journey and stuff. That one is called, um, oh my God, hold on. <laughs> Being Human RV. Sorry. Okay. The other YouTube channel is called Being Human RV. And so on that channel, I focus more on RV living, but I also want to interview survivors along my way. And on oh, my journey. Wow. And so far I've not, I've been so chicken because some of these stories that I hear, like I, I talked to this girl in Austin, Texas, and I won't say her name or anything, but I felt like as she was telling me her story, it was just such a sacred 
moment that I can witness her trying to heal through her narrative, you know, oh, yeah. and for her and for a person to be like really open and vulnerable and share like the depths of their hell with you. I want to be very sensitive to that. Like, I don't want that on camera unless the yeah. person really, really is okay with that, you know, cause it's a very public thing to do. And I assure you that I appreciate that being in a couple of documentaries before, and especially this one about medication that's so stigmatized. So I do want to interview uh, survivors on my way through on the private screenings coming up and the, the very public premiere. But um, so yes, that one is called being human RV on YouTube. And I'm going to be sharing my own journey. I have a couple of videos just about me getting ready for leaving and how that was like in my first two weeks of travel and how that was. Well, I'm going to have to check that one out myself. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have my one month video of one month on the road. What is that okay. like? So, but I'm going to tell my story a little bit more detail and then I want to share survivor stories in the coming months. That, that's so awesome. That's, that's what I've been doing too. I've had a couple road trips lately. And one of the things I do on the way is I've been interviewing listeners, yeah. you know, and their stories. And this last trip I planned on sharing a few of them. Unfortunately, the few people I did interview wanted to keep theirs private. I always let them, you know, we don't have to share them, but I've had yeah. several reach out to me and saying, come visit. I want to mm -hmm. share my story. And so I'm planning my next trip is going to be focused primarily on that. And there going go. just like what you're doing. It's so funny. We're doing almost identical things. Well, I think it's important. I mean, to share. This is so. This is such a stigmatized thing to first say that you're on medication, but then to say that you yeah. came off of it. That's a very inconvenient truth for a lot of people that believe that medicine helps everyone and that everyone should get treatment. You know, and that's just not the story for everyone. So I think I had a teacher in um, in social work school that said, Angie, you guys have to talk about this. You have to. Why aren't you talking about this? And I'm like, you don't understand. It's like we're suffering so bad that just to get up and get a drink of water is like a monumental task. You, we can't ask these people to share their story in the depths of hell, you know. But she said this, this is not going to change until you guys start talking. It's yeah. just not. So if you can and you are able, then please do. And and if you can't, if it can't, if it's not your personal story, it could be file your FDA MedWatch report. If you go to Bix website, we have a little button, very easy to get to, right on the side. Click that. Tell them your story. It can be anonymous. I mean, there's, you know, you could do podcasts with D if you see yeah. him on the road. I mean, there's so many ways to get involved in these issues. I couldn't you know? agree more. Yeah, in fact, yeah. that that's a great segue. Let's um before we get back to the movie, let's talk a little bit about Bic. So you're on one of the advisory boards for Bic. Is that correct? Yep, I help Bic a little bit. I wish I could help more. Yeah. But it's just I'm really busy right now and my own healing takes place, too. But, yeah, Bic is doing a lot in the background. Uh, they talked to a lot of doctors. We we went to a conference. I was able to attend a conference in Baltimore. Where, oh, yeah, um, I remember that one. It was pretty good. Like two doctors from Austin, Texas, the Janes. Yeah. Uh, they gave a presentation about benzodiazepines, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they were very detailed about withdrawing and tapering. And tapering should be slow, so slow that you should be absolutely bored. And if you're not <laughs> bored, you're going too fast. So like it was really to me, it was like it was just so eye open. It was me and Sonia in the audience, and we we got to see this you know, a room full of a hundred prescribers being educated by another two, two other prescribers. And then we had big flyers outside. We passed out the Ashton manual. We talked to prescribers one-on-one. -on -one. People were very interested in this information. Oh, wow. That's great. And, and just so people know, um, BIC, of course, is Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, and it can be found at benzoinfo.com. Yeah. So we, a lot of times we work on media, like we'll see an article and we'll try to educate the journalists and say like, well, there's the difference between addiction and dependence. Right. You know, would you like to work together in the future with a new article? Um, 
Christy Huff is just amazing. She writes a lot, oh, yeah. gets a lot published for the wider audiences. I think one of her blogs was like top 10 for Kevin oh, MD yeah. this year. So that's been great. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we're working on. We have a prescriber list. I don't know. There's just so many things that are happening. Some of it's reactive, trying to be proactive in other areas. We're trying to attend, attend a lot more conferences in 2020. Mm-hmm. So if that's something you know people are interested in, they could always use uh, donations because that gets that pays for our travel and gets us into the conferences. We want to pitch a couple conferences. We could do our own presentations, which would be great. So all that social work school will really come in handy because now I have letters after my name that you know yeah. not the lived experience isn't enough sometimes. And no, you have to I have letters. That. Yeah. But that gets us into the door at conferences. So that's a way to support. Um, yeah, Bix is great. They're doing a lot of work, and um, it's good work. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm really glad that you're involved with them. I've been yeah, working with uh, Christy, actually, I've, um, has been helping us some of our stuff in state here, too, and talked to her yep. several times about that. And also, of course, worked on the survey with Jane. So there's a lot of stuff going on, I know, over there. So um, Okay, let's get back to the movie again. So um, so we got the premiere coming up here in Santa Barbara. So if people wanted to come out to this, and Lynn and I talked about this just briefly, but um, tell them a little bit, remind them again about the the, um, the festival and when the screening is and how they can get involved if they, if they wanted to come out for that, especially if they were in California or something. So Santa Barbara Film Festival is pretty... I mean, I think it's going to be so great, but there's two dates for the screenings, January 16th and January 17th. I think the January 16th screening is at 11 a.m. Okay. The January 17th screening is at 3 p.m. And the way that film festivals work is there's a very limited amount of tickets and there are four passes. So you, one person buys a ticket pack of four or you bring four people with you and you can go to one of the screenings or two people can go to both screenings, but those are very limited in quantity. So, if you don't buy one of those, then there's something called rush tickets. You can mm-hmm. buy them like 30 minutes before each screening and they're $10. So uh, we're going to do the premiere. The best part about the premiere is that everyone is going to be there. So it's me, the two directors, the producer, the camera, cinematographer, the sound guy, the editor. Everybody will be there on stage to do the Q&A afterward. Oh, it's the very public. We did tons of press. We're you know, hoping there's going to be more. Um, anyway, and it's like the first time in the world we'll get to see the the movie. It's really exciting. Oh, wow. That's great. So, um, and after that, you mentioned about also people might have some screenings or local screenings or something like that. You know, they can, they can work with you and is it possible they can have things in the area? Can you explain how that might work or what they would do if they were interested in, in having a screening of, of the film in their town? So right now we're going to do the film festivals. So the best thing to do right this second is just go to medicatingnormal.com, mm-hmm. scroll to the very bottom where it says sign up for newsletter, and it'll ask for your name, your email, and your zip code. And then what that does is every time we get into a film festival that's in your area, we usually email about a 250-mile radius to that zip code where the film screening is. Okay. So your first chance to see the film would be to attend one of the film festivals while we're in that phase. But then after that phase is over, we'll have more uh, open public screenings. But, you know, of course, we want to make it kind of we need like a bigger audience. So we know that everybody wants to see the film. And, you know, there's comments all the time like, where can I see this? Where can I see right. this? Because everybody's so exciting because it's like so much validation for us, most of all. But um, so for now, it's just film festivals. But later we'll be building we're building like a database of people that want to see the film. Okay. And then but we'd like, you know, we prefer with large audiences. So 
we as much as we love to come for 20 people it's just hard with logistics hard, i'm yeah. driving an rv and i can't drive from new york to la you know oh, yeah. so we're building a little list of these are potential screens these are people that have audiences of like 80 or 100 um in these areas and you know down the line they'll have to I think they have to charge for screenings because of costs, you know, just to get there. So if you're interested, just the best thing to do is stay up to date on our social media. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter and we will let you know as we progress. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. Yeah. So what other, do you have other film festivals lined up after Santa Barbara? Well, there's a couple more, but I can't tell you where they are because it's secret. That's fine. Just thought I'd ask <laughs> the question anyway. <laughs> yeah, we got into a couple, but oh, you'll see job. them. We, we announce them as we go on, uh, the, usually on the Facebook page. Okay. So definitely just stay tuned to that. Okay. Well, that's all great. I, I think that's winds us up pretty good. We had, um, this has been a great conversation. Things just flew by, I think, talking yeah, with you, Angela. Um, anything else you'd like to say in closing for people, especially people who are listening to the podcast or people who are interested in the film or anything like that? Let me think. I think you covered it. Oh, wow. I th- can, I think, <laughs> can I think of anything? Hold on. The only thing I would say to follow up is that uh, make sure that you check out our YouTube channel for medicating normal. There's so many okay. um, really cool clips that you can share with your friends. Maybe it's hard for you to explain how you're feeling in withdrawal. And like some of those clips will explain it to your family members. So definitely go oh, on the YouTube channel. There's like 110 outtakes. We're about halfway through. They release two per day. And then also on our, okay. on our fate, on our website, there is a list of like a reading list. There will be a podcast list with definitely with Benzo Free Podcast listed, of course. Oh, well, thanks. But uh, there's a reading list. There's resources. There's alternatives. There's some information about drug withdrawal, you know, uh, plugging the other people that are doing work in this area. Right. So definitely just um, explore the resources. They've built it's such a great website. And I, I really just want to say thank you to Wendy and Lynn and Muffy because they have not gone through this withdrawal experience and for them to like make this film and it's so genuine to the experience and then to have all these developed all these resources and websites and outtakes is just amazing I think when you haven't been to this experience it just shows their uh, compassion and empathy that they could feel for the people going through this oh that's wonderful that's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's so great to see this kind of work, and especially by such professional filmmakers yes. and people who have been in the industry and know what they're doing, and, and also the activism like Wendy has been done in the past and stuff. These are people who know what they're doing and know how to make a difference, yeah. and this has been great. Yeah. So I, I must admit, I had a chance, of course, to see it at a private screening, and it was a wonderful film. And I really enjoyed it, especially the just the stories, your story and David's and all the different stories in the film really connected and then you had the experts on top of them validating the experience and validating the science behind it. It's kind of that perfect blend. So if anybody gets the chance um, where it's coming in town or can get near Santa Barbara or something else and want to go see it, I'd highly recommend it. Go check it out. Definitely. It's a good film. Thank, thank you so you, much Dee. for everything. And thank you for talking with me too today, Angie. I thank really you, appreciate Dee. it. Thank you, Thank you for all the work you do with Benzo Free Podcast. I just know that your voice is so soothing to so many people oh, okay. and it keeps them going and your work is so needed. So thank you. Thanks. I really appreciate it. And the same goes for you. You've done so much for veterans and through BIC and through everything else on YouTube and this movie. So just thank you for all you've been doing. Angie, thank you for so many things. I know both Lynn and Angie have very busy schedules right now, and I am very grateful for their time and interest to be on our podcast. If you want to learn more about the film, please visit the film's website at medicatingnormal.com. And don't forget the premiere of the film this week, January 16th and 17th, 
at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. And if you'd like to follow Angie online, you can go to YouTube and search for her sites, Healing From Benzos, in which healing from is all one word, and her new channel, Being Human RV. Or you can also follow her on Facebook at facebook.com slash beinghumanrv. And if you'd like to help out the Wounded Warrior Project, please visit them on their website at woundedwarriorproject.org. And yes, I will have links to all those sites in our show notes, as always. This has been a wonderful couple of weeks with both Lynn and Angie, and I hope to have them both back on the podcast later this year. But now, before we go on to our moment of peace, please allow me just 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. And please, remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place, where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today we are going to do a spot relaxation exercise for our meditation. It's quite simple. Just find a part of your body which is tense, such as the neck, shoulders, pelvis, or any other spot where you carry your tension. Breathe deeply into that spot and then relax it on the out-breath. You can do this a few times if you like for each spot and then move on to another one. If you wish to do a full-length meditation of this type at some point, just start with your toes and work your way up the body. Many times we don't know where our tension is until we stumble upon it. But since we only have one minute today, we'll be more directed in our search and start with the obvious centers of our stress. And as for the background sound today, we will be listening to some ambient sound of birds, which I recorded in Missouri on my last road trip. I hope you find it peaceful. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. 
hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. Then let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally. And find a spot of tension in your body. Breathe into it and relax the entire area. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your breathing. No judgment at all. Continue to do this for one minute. Our next episode is episode 53, and it will be released next Wednesday. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.